Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Heavenly Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to open the Word to us and our heart to the Word. Lord, we don't want to hear information. We want to live. We want to understand how to walk and, and walk with you. We want more of you in every way. So may the Word tonight draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Almost all brands of Christians believe in the rapture. It, it, it's the timing of when it takes place that's controversial. Will believers be raptured before, during, or after the great tribulation period that's prophesied for the end of this age? The issue itself pales in comparison to many of the central truths of our faith, but people still take different positions on this question and feel very strongly that their view is right, and those who disagree with them are dangerously wrong. There are whole denominations who won't admit you to fellowship if you take a different position on this. So today, rather than add more fuel to the fire by arguing fiercely why my position on this is right, let's step back and look at the beautiful truths that we learn about God from the rapture. Would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? I read this very text this morning as we were hearing the word for the memorial service. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul is trying to comfort the church in Thessalonica. They are worried about Christians who have died before the return of Christ. They're waiting for the return of Christ. They're expecting the return of Christ in their lifetimes. And he's not come back yet, and people are dying. And so the question is, where are they? Are they okay? Have we lost them somehow if they died before Jesus came back? And Paul says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. It's okay to grieve, notice, but not like those who are hopeless. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, Jesus Christ, when he returns, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, Jesus gave us this word, that's what he means. Jesus said something that I'm building my teaching on, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be, mine says, caught up. 
What does yours say? Okay, that sounds like a good translation. The word in the Latin is rapturus. That's where you get the word rapture. There isn't the word rapture technically, but it's that word. It's the, trans it's the Latin word for caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Is there a rapture? I had someone the other day talk to me and say, you know, you grieved my heart. And I said, how have I done that? And, and she said, you don't believe in the rapture. I was, I was, I was shocked. I said, really? And what she meant was, <clears throat> I didn't believe in, in her view of it necessarily. I most certainly believe in the rapture. There is, it's indisputable. What did, what did we just read to you? I mean, you, if, if you have two eyes and can read the English language, you believe in the rapture. That's just what he said. We're going to be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. That's, that's ultimately what it means. Uh, let me show you. Actually, Jesus uh, would describe almost two kinds of raptures. Uh, maybe you haven't seen that. Look at Matthew 13. Verse 40, he's explaining the parable of the tares, and he, he's explaining this to his disciples of the field being the world, and the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, people in whom is the transformed new birth. The tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Verse 40, So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Almost a reverse rapture. It's the wrong rapture. You don't want to go up on that one. They come and they pull out those who are stumbling blocks and commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, and we won't go there, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let your eye go over to verse 49. He has given another parable of a dragnet which has pulled in all kinds of fish, sorting out the good ones from the bad ones. And in verse 49 it says, And it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we have a picture uh, uh, so far of the Lord coming for his righteous, calling them up and transforming them as they go. We have a picture of the angels coming and plucking out the wicked. Wow. Apparently everybody gets some sort of ride uh, when we come to that. Now let your, let's go a little farther to chapter 24 of Matthew. Jesus is teaching on the last days. And he says in verse 31, well, I'll start at 30, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then the tribe, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels, and with a great trumpet, we heard about that, they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. Notice that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That the angels of God will gather from the four winds. 
his elect, those who are his. Over in verse 40 and 41 there in the same chapter, you have a question. I, I, I've asked myself many times, who's he talking about? He talks about how the Son of Man will come suddenly and people will be caught off guard. And then it, will, it says in verse 40, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. And you say, is it, who's taken? Is it good people or bad people? Doesn't matter. We know the angels will pluck out the evil and we know the Lord will call up the good. So one way or another, there'll be a separation of people just like that. Let's have a look. One more, th one more thing. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to show you the first rapture. You're going to follow his example, as it were. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus has just finished talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit how they're to wait for that, and then he will empower them to be his witnesses all over the world. And verse 9 says, After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. Just rose right up into the air. And a cloud received him out of their, their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's coming back down just like he went up. That couldn't be clearer. And those who are alive and remain on the planet, those who are believers, when at that moment when that trumpet sounds, they too will rise in the air and meet him in the air. I told this memory uh, today because when I, when I think of the rapture, I, I think of this, this story. My children were grieving over the loss of their grandmother. And she died in, in, uh, in uh, Wisconsin. She, uh, her, their grandma and grandpa were dairy farmers in Wisconsin. And uh, we didn't have the money at that point in time to go back in, to the memorial service for Grandma Dora. And so we, I was teaching at, at Life Bible College in those years, and, and uh, I didn't know, what am I going to do? Because my children were crying. I mean, they really, they were distraught over this. What, how, could, how, how, could, how could Grandma die? Why, how could Jesus let that happen? That kind of thing. You know, we were, we were, we were struggling with, with death. And uh, we took them out to uh, Forest Lawn. Forest Lawn is a huge a very elaborate uh, uh, cemetery in, in uh, Los Angeles and went up, just kind of found ourselves up on a hill with a, with a huge slope and all of these uh, granite headstones. And they're just the flat. They don't have them sticking up. Parts of it, they have the kind that, that come up, but many, most of them are just flat. And it just went down in a great swooping motion out from us. And the sun and the afternoon sun was shining on these things. And so you could just see thousands and thousands of headstones from where we sat. And I took out the Bible and I, we read to them the passage I read earlier from, Thess from Thessalonians chapter 4. And I read it dramatically. And, they, uh, you know, when the angel will sound a trumpet. And there'll be a shout. You know, <clears throat> 
And I said, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And I said, and that moment comes, all these gravestones who, of the people who know Jesus Christ will pop open and they'll shoot up in the air and they'll be changed in the way into glorious new bodies and they'll meet Jesus in the air and Grandma Dora is going to pop up like that and meet Jesus in the air. And then we prayed. My daughter, Rebecca, I, her prayer really uh, caught us. She said, dear Jesus, be careful with Grandma Dora when she pops up. <laughs> She's old, you know. <laughs> that time with our family comforted my children. They got the picture that Jesus hasn't lost anybody. And that those who've died and gone ahead of us will... Why is it they'll rise? Somehow, something's going on that they actually come from a conscious presence with the Lord and are united with physical, with, somehow with physical, yet it's a totally new spiritual body, and they rise into the air to meet the Lord along with all of us. The rapture. There's no question there's a rapture. The thing we all argue about is when. I want to just go th give you the options. Oh, well, let me, let me define, first of all, what is the rapture. I, I more or less said it. It's from the word, the, the Latin word, repere, to seize. It's the doctrine of catching away or transporting of believers from the earth to heaven by the Lord at his second coming. And I'm quoting there from Raymond Ludwigson, uh, Survey of Bible Prophecy. A lot of the, uh, some of the specifics I'm about to give come right out of his book. Here's my definition. What happens to people who are resurrected while still alive on this earth? I mean, you're suddenly going to be resurrected and transformed even as you stand there. That was what was happening to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? He was on Mount Hermon, which is 95, 9,300 uh, feet high with his disciples. Uh, what is it? Peter and James and John. And... As he was there praying, he began to glow and shine like the sun right in front of their eyes. They watched him change substance and begin to be glorified. And what was happening is he was on his way up and out. Had he let it continue, did you hear that? Had he let that transformation continue in his body, he would have simply gone into his rapture. He would have gone right up into the heavens. And because of his sinlessness and his, his complete obedience, his very righteousness, he was being changed from one level to the next in front of their eyes. And you remember the, the father sent two counselors to him. Who was that? Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. These two came to counsel him and remind him why it is that he must stay and die. Of course, there was no argument there, but the Lord sent that ministry to him. And then it says, he set his face, I love it, he set his face to Jerusalem, knowing what was ahead for him. He walked off that mountain and left that transformation and joined us again that he might die for us. Amazing, the love that he has shown us. 
It's that transformation, that resurrection. Our, our, our very nature is changed. When will it take place? Ah, now we get down to the important stuff. The doctrine of the rapture is almost universally held, says Ludwigson. There are, however, varying views as to the time this event will take place. These views may be divided into three groups. Pre-tribulation rapture, that means before the tribulation. Mid-tribulation rapture, during the tribulation. You following me here? The last half of the tribulation is held to be extremely severe. You have the tribulation period, a seven-year period, divided into half. It's three and a half, three and a half. And so the mid-trib would say you missed the second three and a half. And then post-trib, after the tribulation, when Jesus comes, the, the rapture takes place at that moment when he comes at the end. The pre-trib, just, just, I just want to brief by these things. The Christ's coming is in two phases. He comes for his saints in the rapture, and then he comes with his saints at his return. The believers are caught up secretly. There's a secret coming of Christ before the last seven-year time of tribulation begins. That, the tribulation is God's wrath poured out on an unbelieving earth. And it, it bothers me a little bit, but particularly part of this is it's also punishment of Israel. In, in pre-tribulation, is built around the fact that Israel rejected Christ and they're to be punished. Seems to me they had a pretty rough ride for the last 2,000 years. I don't know why we need to beat on them more. But the thought is that it's Jacob's sorrows and that this is what they get for having rejected Christ. That's been part of it. Um, Mid-trib believes that he'll come between the second and third woes. The last trumpet, remember? It says at, the, at, that, at that trumpet... I read it to you in Thessalonians. Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, the last trumpet, if you take the seven trumpets, is the seventh trumpet. So at the end of the seventh trumpet, before the bowls, up we go. Um, the seals, as we noticed, aren't, aren't judgments. We've already been through those, but are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus in Matthew says, These, this is not the end. These are simply the beginning of sorrows. He's quite specific, and he calls them birth pangs. Uh, we're not to the birth yet, but we're beginning to get labor. They feel that the resurrection of the two witnesses uh, you have there in, in Revelation 11, we'll see it later. Uh, they are symbolic of the rapture of the church. Um, uh, let me go on to post. The second coming of Christ, post-tribulation, post the second coming of Christ and the rapture are part of the same event. While believers will not be subject to the outpouring of the wrath of God being sealed in protection, they may be exposed to the persecution of the Antichrist during the tribulation. Uh, go with me to Daniel chapter 12. I want to show you a verse there. Daniel 12. Now, at verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Jesus, by the way, paraphrases those identical words, doesn't he, in his, in his explanation. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time, and at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book, I would assume that to be the book of life, will be rescued. Notice that. They will be rescued. Many who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. We're talking resurrection here. The everlasting 
life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Uh, let your eye go down to verse 7. And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and I'm not going to explain all that, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, notice that, That's, we saw it already earlier that there'll be the persecution of, of, of the saints. All these events will be completed. And verse 11, from that time, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, the, that's what Jesus calls the abomination of desolation, where the, where the Antichrist takes his place in the temple and declares himself divine. The abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. How, many, how long is that? Three and a half years. So there is a midpoint to all of the trouble that will be ahead, and it will be the, the key the key indicator, the trigger, will be the abomination of desolation, the moment when the Antichrist declares himself divine, and then from there on comes a terrible persecution, worse than the world has ever seen. Christ's coming is not imminent for those who are post-trib, meaning imminent means you believe he could, be, he could come at any moment. But the post-trib would say, no, there's got to be some events that are prophesied that take place before he arrives, such as the gospel being preached in all the world, Matthew 24, the apostasy that Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, and the man of sin being revealed in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. There are things that have to happen prophetically before he could come again. When will it take place? pre Mid, post. Why don't you say pre, mid, post with me? All right. That's your options for the most part. There are some others, but let's not get exotic. When will it take place? You decide. But remember this. First of all, we know that God will allow believers to be persecuted. Have you noticed? It's, it's all through the scriptures. So what you can't build your thinking on is, well, he's not going to let us suffer. Do you know that there are more people dying for their faith in the world today, I'm told, than ever before in church history? I mean, there are people who are going through horrible things on behalf of Christ, and you'd say, well, he won't let us suffer persecution. They're going to be surprised you said that. And so the fact is, he most certainly will. In fact, and I give a little list of them, and, and you, can, you can probably recognize the texts. Matthew 5 is that, blessed are you when you're persecuted, and, and, and men say all sorts of evil against you for my sake. Blessed are you. You should rejoice and be happy, because so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. And, and we all do anyway, but it was fun to be reminded. Uh, James tells us how valuable it is. Hebrews 11 is, a hall, is, the, is the men and women of faith hall of fame. And that whole last section that I give you there are the ones that are sawn in half and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that was Isaiah, by the way. And just uh, this list of men and women who died violently for their faith. And the, and the author of Hebrews makes that fabulous statement. He says, men and women of whom the world was not worthy. <laughs> great men and women, that the world was not worthy of them, but killed them. 
Luke 9 is the passage where Jesus says, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross. Be fully prepared to die violently for me. That is the only way you can come and follow Jesus. Corinthians 4 is Paul where he describes as an apostle, he said, you in Corinth, you're all doing so well and prospering, but we apostles, we of all men, we are hungry and poor and naked. We're imprisoned. We're beaten. We apostles, Peter and James and John and Andrew, Paul, we're out on the highways and the byways, Thomas being shot full of arrows in India. We are dying for Christ. We are persecuted for him. You may have it easy, but we're dying for our Lord. Secondly, we know this. We know that whatever it is, we know two things. We know he will allow believers to be persecuted. He doesn't want believers persecuted. He doesn't enjoy having his believers persecuted. But part of the price of redeeming this terrible fallen world is that you have to press into the darkness. And it has proven true over and over and over again that when men and women give their lives in that way, there's something broken spiritually that opens up and people get saved. And secondly, we know this, that God will not pour his wrath on us. It just won't happen. You have such powerful examples of it. Lot, as, as, as he's delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. Noah, as he's delivered from the flood. The firstborn Hebrews, as the angel of death went over Egypt. Rahab the harlot, as she was delivered from Jericho as it was destroyed. The 144,000 marked on their foreheads that they might be protected and noted by the Lord. Well, so what does the rapture tell us about God? It tells us, number one, that he will draw us to his side to be with him forever. When you, when you read that passage there in Matthew 24, it says that he will, he will send his angels and they will gather his elect from the four winds. It's, it's like he's coming back and, he's, and his big arms are reaching out and gathering all the souls that are his into his arms. And, it's, and we will be with him forever. Notice what the rapture is. It's not like we just sort of head into space. We head to him. It's like a magnet. He just draws us to himself. That's what the rapture is. You and I being drawn to Jesus, no matter where we are. And secondly, in order to draw us to himself and not destroy us. I mean, in his glory, if we got close to him in these bodies, he'd be like a, like a bug zapper. You got one of those lights? I mean, I can't stand to have those things. Just sitting there watching these poor little things going... I just feel it's just my, yeah. But I mean, if, if, he, if he raptured us, called us up to himself, and didn't transform us in the process, we'd go up and go, Bzzzt. wouldn't be good. And so what he does is he not only calls us up to himself, but he puts us in new resurrected bodies on the way. So that when we get there, his glory does not destroy us, 
but we are able to be with him. Do you see one of the most, the most important parts about the resurrection? Isn't just that you don't die anymore. The most important part of the resurrection is you get to be literally at the knee of your heavenly father with his full revealed glory. Back when we went through the book of Exodus, if you recall, Moses said, I want to show me your glory. It's an appalling request. Partly revealed his ignorance, but his heart too. He loved the Lord. Show me your glory. And the pre-incarnate Jesus said to him, I can't do that. I'll fricassee you like a bug. He says, but what I'll do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover the with my hand and then I'll pass by. You can't see my face. It'll kill you. But I'm going to pass by and you can see me passing away from the, from my, from the back. I'll let you see that much of my glory. So it won't destroy you. People understand something. The glory of God is, is it's, it's, it's powerful. It's not just light. I mean, it's, it literally will destroy Destroy. When you, when you get in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we just get a taste of it. You can feel that power. Have every, any one of you ever been with such power on you, you think, God, if you, if you give me any more, I'll die? You ever felt that kind of power? Like, boy, when it hit me as a child, I was terrified. I ran away from it. Now I kick myself. What an idiot. I wish I, if it, I mean, if you're going to die, what a way to go. I mean, turn it on. That's the way I want to die. But our bodies now can't take it. We can't take it, but we will. Look with me briefly at, at 1 Corinthians 15. That's what this is all about, this different kind of flesh that Paul speaks of. Just there at verse 35, I just, I'll just... 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Paul says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? They're in that rapture. You fool. Pardon me. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain. So he's going to compare these earthly, fleshy bodies of ours now with like a grain of wheat that you plant in the dirt and which then gives life to a whole stock of grain. But he says, God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Now here it is. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. There are heavenly bodies. In other words, in the sky, there are, there are stars and moon and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There are people, you are going to be given a transformed body in the rapture where you are lifted up and it's like the flesh of fish is different from the flesh of men. It will literally be a new kind of flesh. This flesh, it's real. You can touch Jesus in his resurrected condition. You can hug him. He can eat. He can drink. We will be resurrected into literally new physical flesh. But this flesh won't be destroyed by the glory of God. This flesh will never get sick. This flesh will never die. But the most beautiful part is 
you can run into his arms and see him and behold him. That we will live in a city in which there's no sun because it's the light of the, of the Shekinah glory of God that will light the entire place. That he will cover us with his tabernacle, it says. In other words, the power will come over us. Uh, the prophets say the whole earth will be covered with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like fish swimming in water, we will be in the undiminished presence of the Holy Spirit, God. And in our new flesh, we can bear that glory and just say, more, Lord, more. That's what the rapture is really about. It's preparing us for him. Preparing us for what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why is it a marriage supper? Because the bride and groom are united and will never be separated again. We're the bride. We're going to be with our groom forever, never separated again. Does it matter what I believe about the rapture? Yeah. Pros and cons, both ways. Now, if you're pre-trib, there's a negative. A pre-trib, sometimes the attitude can be, I don't need to prepare myself for hard times because I'm getting out of here before it happens. And so there's not a sense that I need to be strong and uh, let the Lord prepare me and discipline me because I'm just going out. The positive, however, for the pre-trib is men and women who expect they could see Jesus at any moment. That awareness that any moment, any moment, I could be seeing Jesus face to face. The mid and the post, I just group them together. The mid and the post, there's a negative there. The, the negative is, you, if you're post-trib, you can say, I don't expect to see Jesus return anytime soon. And it just lots of things have to happen. The world isn't there. And so the, the coming of Jesus, so the face-to-face -face time with Jesus is way off in the distance. I don't think that's healthy. I think every generation is supposed to expect the Lord. You read it right in the New Testament. They thought he was coming that in their lifetime. That's why the letter was written to the Thessalonians. They're saying, Grandma died and Jesus isn't back yet. What's the deal here? Paul has to write them this comforting letter. They expected, Paul expected, every healthy Christian expects to see Jesus in their lifetime. The positive is, of the poster mid, I must be prepared to suffer for Jesus. So there's a sense of, I need to be uh, there could be hardship ahead. I need to know the word of God. I need to have my, 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 you know, my life in order. I could be going through tough times. It makes us come to grips with the whole thought of, will I die for him? Am I prepared to do that? Now, you'll notice I didn't tell you what I thought. Because frankly, what does it matter? Honestly, quite honestly, I don't know. It's just not that clear. It's clear that we're going up. It's just not clear when. You know, I figure God will handle that. I have my, my thoughts. 
But if it's pre-trib, that's a relief. If it's post-trib, hallelujah, I'll be prepared to, to stand for Jesus. I'm not just copping out. You know me. I can be downright nasty on some doctrinal issues. And there's doctrinal issues worth being mean about. Dad, gum it. <laughs> this ain't one of them. It is simply not one of them. When he's coming is up to him. And I'm taking the first ride out. <laughs> I prepare myself as though I might face persecution and tribulation because I know my Lord. He will let me suffer for him if that is necessary. He'll let you suffer too. So whether it's the, the great tribulation or it's simply tribulation, I don't kid myself. Will he pour his wrath on me? Never in a million years will he pour his wrath on me. But the last days isn't just filled with the wrath of God. The last days is also filled with the wrath of the Antichrist. It's the great tribulation of the saints. And yet there's two great forces in there. At what point will he say, I'm pulling my church out? I don't know. I don't know. But I know he loves me. And I know he's wise. And I know he's good. And I know that he'll take care of that. And my job is to occupy till he comes. My job is while there is daylight to be in earnest serving him. Aren't we grateful for the days we have? Aren't we grateful for the lives we have? Aren't we grateful for the resources we have? Aren't we grateful for the opportunities we have to serve him on every hand right now? The moment will come, either because you and I die or because Christ, the, 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 the end is near, when you can't anymore. But we're in a rich time. And so the lesson for us isn't to sit there and try to figure out exactly when he's going to come and argue about it. The thing for us is knowing what he's told us to be faithful so that when we see him face to face, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy master. There'll be a moment the trumpet will sound and the archangel will call out in Jesus' voice. We'll say, arise. And everybody, the righteous and the unrighteous, will be resurrected. And you and I will be, meet him in the air. And thus, we shall be with him forever. This is why knowing Jesus Christ is so important. Not just knowing him but surrendering to him, giving him control of our lives, trusting him entirely, living for him. Have you done that? Have you given him everything? Have you taken up your cross to follow him? Have you sold out your love for the world and recognized that it's treasure in heaven that really matters? It's people, and it's God. Those are the things that really matter.
there will be a moment when the trumpet will sound and we're going to see him face to face and rise in the air. But what a terrible thing it would be to think, oh no, my opportunities to serve him, my opportunities to live for him are over. We must never come to our moment of death with regrets or to the rapture with regrets. Let's cherish every day we have and live for him. Is there anyone who say, I'm simply giving my heart to Jesus again. I'm selling out again. I need to say to him, Lord, I let go of control. I let go of living for the wrong things. And I put my hand in yours. I surrender to you. Take my life and use it for your glory. I just feel like the Lord would call us with this word on the rapture. Just call us to give ourselves more deeply. Heavenly Father, we, we are right now saying to you, we sell out. We've, in any, whatever way, our eye has gone back to the things of the world. We've become competitive, angry, greedy, fearful. Whatever this, the world has caught us again, we take our eye off the world and we look at you. And we look at what's ahead for us. That we will be transformed and we will be with you forever. Lord God, may that, may that image burn in our minds. May we live in the light of it knowing what life is really about. Jesus Christ, we take up our cross. We follow you. We surrender. Put our hand in yours and follow where you lead us. And then by faith, we thank you with all our hearts for wonderful opportunities, for divine appointments, to let your love come through us your word be spoken in a timely way for us to be your hands extended to a troubled world. Here we are, giving ourselves again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.